On today's Locked On Bucks, we uh, take a look back at the first matchup of two in New York between the Bucks and the Knicks. A successful start to this road trip. So we'll take a look at what else is on the horizon and uh, any changes we may expect in game number two against New York. Also, a little bit closer of a look at uh, one player specifically and one side of the floor for your Milwaukee Bucks. And we're live and welcome your interaction throughout the show as well. Let's get into it on today's Christmas Day edition of Locked on Bucks. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Bucks. I am Justin Garcia. You can hear me on the Bucks Radio Network and on 620 WTMJ as well, in addition to on the podcast just about every day with Frank Madden and Camille Davis, both on assignment today, taking some time uh, with their families, much deserved for Christmas uh, Day and, and Christmas celebrations. We thank you, as always, for making Locked On Bucks your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, as some of you are joining us now, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, so the Bucks started this uh, road trip in New York with uh, all things considered an impressive win against the New York Knicks. And uh, this was a game that at times you wondered if we were going to see the Bucks revert to that group that we saw for portions of the season earlier this year where no lead was really safe. There was a, a lot of up and down play and inconsistencies, but the Bucks held firm. And I think there was really a couple of moments in this game that you wondered if it's this where they, they kind of let go of the rope and lose sight of things. The biggest one of those was arguably the close to the first half when the Bucks had a 16-point lead, uh, about two and a half minutes left, and before you knew it, that lead was sliced in half, largely due to Jalen Brunson as the Knicks would close out that quarter and a half on a 10-2 to run, and Brunson scored eight of those 10 points, including a step-back shot at the buzzer with his foot just inside the three-point line that took it from 10 down to eight at uh, halftime. But the Bucks answered to start the second half. There was one more push in that third quarter where uh, Jalen Brunson again was uh, behind a lot of the Knicks charge and started to do the same thing. But the Bucks were able to consistently really keep that lead around 12 or 13 points for, for what seemed like most of that second half. And again, I think it just speaks to what we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast the last couple of days and weeks for that matter. And that's the consistency that this group has played with at a much, much higher level. Uh, Chris Middleton has certainly been a big part of that. And I do want to get to some uh, Chris Middleton numbers and statistics to throw out there in our second segment here today. But to me, it all boils down to the defense and what we've seen from this group. We have we've mentioned repeatedly this is an elite offensive unit, and uh, we expect it to be uh, an elite group. I, I said coming into the season, I expected this team would finish in the top three uh, offensively, and that's right where they're sitting as of right now for the season as a whole, and certainly since November 3rd, as that's the big date that we continue to point to. Uh, but to me, the big part is what we've seen on that other end of the floor defensively, and especially since November 3rd. So 
your season aggregate numbers here. The Bucks with the third best offensive rating. They're about a point behind the uh, 76ers, about a point and a half back of the Indiana Pacers, who are are two and one respectively. Uh, and the Bucks again with an offensive rating over 120. So we're in this phase now that every single year it is going to be uh, whoever finishes first in offense is going to have the highest offense in the history of the league. And in this case, this season, we're going to have a number of teams that are going to break what the Sacramento Kings did a season ago. So 120 for an offensive rating on the defensive side, that's where we've seen subtle growth. And as you wake up here on Christmas Eve, or if you're listening to the show on Christmas Day, the Bucks will be rated 16th in defensive efficiency for the entire season. So that includes those first four games that, uh, to put it kindly, were, were a bit of a dumpster fire, as, as we acknowledge. 16th. So you're right around the middle of the pack for your season as a whole. But again, I've talked about this on our post-game radio shows quite a bit this week. So if you are one of those regular listeners as well, I apologize for beating you over the head with this once more on a different platform. But if you go back to November 3rd, that's where everything changed. And, and we all know the obvious reasons behind that and why. The offense has been slightly better, about a point and a half for 100 possessions better with a rating just under 122. So they are the third best offense in the league since November 3rd just three-tenths of a point behind the 76ers for the second-best offense in the league. But their defense, rated 16th for the season as a whole, they are rated 12th right now in games played since November 3rd when you pushed Brook Lopez back towards the basket, stopped playing him on the perimeter, and Brook Lopez, in turn, has been an absolute force. He leads the league in block shots all season long, but especially in those uh, games played since November 3rd, you take out those previous four games or the first four games of the season where he had, I believe, two block shots. Brooke Lopez has been a monster in those games since November 3rd. He's been much more comfortable, and I think we've seen this defense as a team, as a team unit, has been much more comfortable as well, knowing they have their rim protector back there to help clean some things up. So 12th-rated defense in those games played since November 3rd. But the caveats are this. On the good side, they're three-tenths of a point back of the Cleveland Cavaliers, who have a defensive rating uh, right now of 113.5, so a little bit less than. That didn't take into account uh, games that were played later in the day yesterday, so we'll just recalculate here. Still 12th-rated uh, defense since November 3rd. The separation between the Bucks and the Cavaliers, it was three-tenths of a point uh, before Cleveland's game yesterday. It's less than a full point per 100 possessions. So you are within striking distance of being a top 10 defense. The Cavaliers, since November 3rd, ninth rated defense. Denver Nuggets have a 113.9 defensive rating. That is 10th. Pelicans are tied with Denver at 113.9. And then you have the Bucks at 114.3. So four tenths of a point back of the Denver Nuggets for 10 eight-tenths of a point back at the Cavaliers for nine. And that matches the eye test with what we've seen from this team, not only since November 3rd, but I think especially in the last three or so weeks that we've, we've continued to caution this whole thing. It's going to take time for this group to, to really get that chemistry and get things going. And, and I know I continue to mention, if we look back at the season, the Bucs won the championship. That was the previous season, or the last time I should, when they went through 
about as much change as they've gone through. So I know John Horst talked about this uh, in the offseason and, and said, this is the most change I've ever been through, not just at the NBA level, at any level for basketball. We changed our head coach. We changed our coaching staff. We changed the way that we're going to play. Uh, we added some new role players. Cameron Payne, a late addition there. Obviously, Damian Lillard, the biggest of those. You got Malik Beasley, and he's one of your starters. So you may have had more roster overturn or turnover, I should say, uh, back in that championship year when 50% of the roster was new. But top to bottom, it, it's been the most the organization has gone through in quite some time this year. And I mentioned that because that year when the Bucs won the title in the 2020-2021 season, it was not until just going into the all-star break that it really felt like this team was starting to get that chemistry to galvanize and start to turn the corner. That was a 72-game season, remember. I believe that was around 36 or so games into the season. They won their final game of the first half when Drew Holiday hit that game winner against the Memphis Grizzlies. And then I believe they had a six-game win streak on the other end of the All-Star break. It was a lengthy win streak. And that's when it really felt like this team is, is starting to figure it out. And this is the group that we expected to see. Again, that was roughly 30, 35 games. I think it's safe to, uh, to say it, it's going to be right around the same time frame for this group. And, and we kind of cautioned that as the season started. There, there is no magic number for any team. It, it's not, well, you need 20 games and then this starts to develop. I think people will point to 20 or 25 games. But every team is different. And uh, just looking through 36 games, that was the 36th game of the season in Memphis against the Grizzlies. And the Bucs would win their next seven games after the All-Star break to, to get up to an eight-game win streak. That's when it felt like this team has figured it out. And I think we've reached that point or are starting to reach that point on the schedule for the Bucs. We're just about 30 games into the season now at 29. The 25-game sample that we're pointing to, which again is why I say this is not cherry picking to look back at November 3rd and say, hey, since this date, I understand if you're doing the, the flyby take on the Bucks, if you're a national media voice and you say, yeah, well, that defense, I get that if you're just looking at the numbers. If you've watched this game, if you've dug a little deeper and examined what's different, that's why it's not cherry picking. They made a massive change in how they played defensively. It was just four games that we're excluding from this mix. And again, the whole thing of, it's going to take time for this group to figure some things out. They've done that, and the defense has looked much better. And as we've continued to point out, if you get a league average, slightly better than league average a defensive unit here, that should be more than enough because this offense continues to get better. It's still not where it needs to be. And I think to a man, we've heard that up and down the roster uh, from Bobby Portis, from Pat Connaughton, from Cameron Payne. Malik Beasley just said it again the other day. Giannis has continued to point that out, that he and Damian Lillard still figuring out that chemistry. But it's already the third best offense in the league. It's a much different offense than we've seen from this team. As we've seen the Bucs post some pretty high offensive narcs, marks and, uh, and ratings, this is a different group. Because of Damian Lillard, sure, they can score in the half court a lot easier. A lot of that is Damian Lillard. He can create shots. He can take and make tough shots in the half court. This isn't just we've got to get in transition we got to get Giannis going downhill, and then hopefully he'll find some of the open shooters and they'll make these shots in the postseason. That's been one of the big issues for the Bucs. So that's what's different here is 
this is an offense that feels like it is best suited for the postseason, better suited for the postseason than we've seen from the Bucs in uh, previous years. Chris Middleton's a big piece of that. I do want to touch on that and also uh, address some of the comments that are already starting to come in. If you've got a question about what we've seen recently, a takeaway from that game against the Knicks on the 23rd or any thoughts on this matchup on Christmas Day, feel free to share those in the comments and uh, we will get into it coming up after the break here on Locked on Bucks. I do want to remind you as you're viewing this on YouTube that You've got other options on YouTube as Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top stories of the day with local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. So we've... we've uh, We've mentioned the uh, the defense and, and what we've seen differently from this group. And again, you do have to point out both sides. The Bucks have not played a terribly different difficult schedule. I believe they, uh, by the numbers in terms of your strength of schedule, have played the seventh easiest schedule. It's somewhere in the top ten. Now, Philadelphia is not much better. They've played a very very easy schedule as well. The 76ers have. And they've been the talk of the league. They, along with the Timberwolves, as we already see a Timberwolves fan uh, pointing that out in the comments. But um, the difference, and I think why Philadelphia has garnered more attention so far, let's pause and point out, too. It's November. It, November. It's December 24th. The narrative now, it doesn't matter until you get past the All-Star break and into the second half of the season. It starts to see more trends develop. But the narrative now is, man, the 76ers. And I've talked about this on other shows. Camille and I talked about this on one of the more recent shows as well. I, I do have a pretty healthy fear of what Philadelphia is starting to do because Joel Embiid has been a monster this year. He has been even better statistically than he was a season ago when he won the MVP. He's not playing in fourth quarters because that team has been that good. But perhaps the, the two things that should be most concerning uh, as a Bucks fan about the 76ers versus maybe even the Boston Celtics, is number one, which of those two coaches do you trust more, Nick Nurse or Joe Mazzulla? I think that's a very easy answer. But secondly, Philadelphia still has assets, that they still have moves they can make and moves up their sleeve that Daryl Morey certainly has. And I do think a lot of things have shifted where it's not so much Philadelphia is star hunting anymore because of the massive leap that Tyrese Maxey has taken this year. They may recognize, look, we don't need a superstar. We can just go out and find more pieces that fit and role players that we know can play in the postseason. They have the assets to do that. And if you sprinkle more of those playable playable players, 82, uh, 16 versus 82 talk, you sprinkle more of those 16 players around Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey, that makes that a very, very scary team. But back to the original point here, I think the big difference is Bucks and Sixers have both played a similarly easy schedule to start this season, but Philadelphia has blown out their opponents, whereas all the talk the first couple of weeks of the season was the Bucks' clutch rating and what they had done in those spots. They were so good there. How much of that was Damian Lillard? How much of it was a positive? And, hey, this team is figuring out how to win games. Who knows? That started to change for the Bucs. You win by nearly 20 points in game one against the Knicks. You had a blowout against the Indiana Pacers and the New York Knicks in the, uh, the quarterfinals of the play-in tournament. So we're seeing more in-season tournament. I did it again. We're seeing more of a step forward 
where the Bucs haven't had to rely on those uh, clutch minutes as much as they have to start the season. And I think that's the biggest reason or one of the bigger reasons why there's been more Philly talk is because Joel Embiid has been that good. Not to say Giannis hasn't as well, but Joel Embiid's been that good and Philadelphia has just been blowing teams out. So it's easier to take that and say, well, Philadelphia this, Philadelphia that. They're better. Uh, and and I do wonder how much of that starts to change now if the Bucks start to piece together a similar stretch. And as we've seen Giannis up until this game yesterday against the Knicks, he had three straight games where he shot less than 50% from the field. He hadn't done that since the first game against the Pistons this year in early November. Hadn't had one single game of doing that. Then he kind of hit a low, but everything between those three games and that first game against the Pistons, you can stack those Giannis numbers up against Joel Embiid uh, or anyone for that matter. He was shooting better than 60% from the field, 65% or 70% in most cases. Had that 54-point game against the Pacers, followed it up with a 64-point game. And his efficiency, not only where he's taking these shots from, his passing and his floor vision that, not to say it was bad before, but it just seems like it's continuing to reach a new level. And I think the, the point where we really started to notice this on that schedule, again, ties into the whole, this is going to take time. And this is a process for this team to develop that chemistry. You know, early in the season, how many times did we see Giannis throw the ball to a spot, assuming his teammate would be there, whether it was Pat Connaughton, Malik Beasley, Damian Lillard, any of the new guys or old guys, assuming, well, this is where they go. This is how we do did things under Bud. And it was a turnover. They just weren't there. You've seen less and less of that where all of these things are starting to become second nature for this uh, this Bucks team as well. So they've played an easy schedule is the point of it, right? But so what? This is a team that has a lot of change that they're dealing with. They're developing this chemistry. And I frankly would rather have your easier part of the schedule now as you're starting to go through that and have those growing pains and getting better with the assumption that by the time we get to really March is where it picks up for the Bucks. By the time we get to March, we've started to figure some things out. We're, we're in a much better spot, and we're, we're going to not necessarily hit the ground running, but we're more equipped for when that schedule is going to increase. Now, it's, it's way too early to talk about seeding. We've had a few comments and, and calls on other shows coming about that. It, it's still December. You can't really look at seeding until you get to, to late February or March. I would say, I do expect the Boston Celtics to finish with a one seed. They have the easiest remaining schedule in the league. Bucks and Sixers have a more difficult schedule down the stretch uh, of the season here. But just continue showing that improvement and get to the point where this team, maybe it's 35 games, maybe it's 40 games. But by the time you get into the midpoint of January, lining up with those timelines of what we talked about in 2021, that really feels like that's going to be the period of the schedule where it just seems like Everything we discussed before, maybe it's not completely gone, but by and large, it's gone, and this team feels like it's headed in in the same direction now, and it's not just two steps forward, one step back, as, as we had seen previously uh, during the course of this season. The other thing I do want to point out, and I, I don't mean this to be a, a, a quick takeaway here because he deserves much more than that, and that is the play of Chris Middleton because uh, Chris Middleton, to me, has been one of the bigger keys to what we're seeing with this consistency for the Bucs. Uh, there's been these moments when you go back to whatever it was, about a month now, that Damian Lillard 
has been playing the duration of the first quarter and the duration of the uh, third quarter at his behest, saying, look, this is what helped get me in a rhythm with the Portland Trailblazers. I would like to do this again. We saw that change. The Bucs have done it, and it does seem as though it's paid off for not just Damian Lillard, but the offense as a whole. The caveat to that, or, or the thing to point out with that, is we've seen Giannis play a, a pretty similar schedule as well. He doesn't necessarily play the duration of the first and third, but he's lined up a lot more with Damian Lillard in those stretches. What that does, though, it, it leaves you vulnerable in the second and fourth quarters of those spots where you, you would not have Dame or Giannis on the floor. And that's where Chris Middleton has really stepped up the most in my mind. And I think that game against the Knicks on the 23rd yesterday, that was another prime example of it. Now, I know Chris started the game hot, and I think he had seven points early in that game. That Bucks offense as a whole, very, very fast start to this game. That's another thing, too, as we talk about this chemistry that has clearly started to develop with this team. It seems like a distant memory when we were having the conversations of why do the Bucs get off to such low starts? They're one of the worst offensive teams in opening quarters of games. What's the story here? We haven't mentioned that in quite some time. But those minutes where you don't have Dame or Giannis, to me, that's where Chris Middleton has really popped off the page so far this season. 20 points yesterday in uh, 32 minutes of play for Chris. And, you know, Adrian Griffin has talked about this before as well. We've we've seen Chris's minutes start to consistently sit at where they are. It started to uh, to tick upward a couple of weeks ago, but now the minutes played for Chris, the, the first game where you got him up to 28 minutes was that game against the Celtics. And then after that, it was a drop down. Granted, it was a big win against the Wizards. Then he sat out the game against the Blazers due to the back-to-back. Then it was still around you know 24-ish minutes in the mid-20s for an extended stretch, but once you got to that game against the Bulls, when the homestand started, and that's another big turning point, I feel, for this team. When that homestand, that six-game homestand started, he has consistently been just under or just over 30 minutes a game. And I think we've started to see and, and realize what this role is for Chris Middleton. It is, it's a fair assumption to say he may not ever be the defensive player that he once was going forward, that the injuries and age, it catches up to all of us. And and it may be there with Chris Middleton. We've seen some spotty moments on that side of the floor so far this season, but not so much on the offensive end. And those minutes where you don't have Damian Lillard or Giannis, his offense has really stood out. He has been that connective tissue that has kept that team together, kept that offense on the floor, and hasn't had their offensive numbers drop off a cliff when you don't have either of those two players on the floor, his ability to facilitate, playmake, set his teammates up, and his shot making too has been incredible so far this season. And I think it, it largely has gone unnoticed because of that stretch that Giannis put up, uh, because you've added Damian Lillard to the mix, because Malik Beasley has started to hit three pointers at a very, very high volume once again. And, and, you know, because there's just a lot of weird narratives that have always existed around Chris Middleton, but I think especially this season when you came in and saw it's going to be a process to get him back to that level and up to speed and not playing in back-to-backs and the, the minutes restriction that was there early. I think that's all led to us maybe overlooking a lot of things that Chris Middleton has started to do so far this season. And to Brian Sampson of Bucks Film Room pointed this out 
earlier today as well. But the last 11 games for Chris, which is right around where we saw those minutes start to peak upward, um, the Bulls game for that six-game homestand, that's when it really started to uh, to tick up here. But the last 11 games specifically, 15 points a game, just a little bit more than that, which, look, it may not be what you expect with that name of Chris Middleton, but when you have Giannis and Damian Lillard doing what they're doing, when you have the offense you've gotten from Brooke Lopez this season, you don't need as much from Chris Middleton. You just need it in those spots that we just talked about. 15 points a game, about five rebounds and assists a game. 29 minutes a game that he's playing as well, so close to 30, and he's shooting just under 50% from the field, 41% on his threes, just under 80% at the free throw line. So those are the important things, and that's what Chris Middleton has really started to bring to this team once more. I do want to uh, open it up for, for some interaction with you guys as well. A lot of comments piling in here. Thoughts on the Christmas Day matchup, takeaways from anything we've gone over on the show so far, or what we've seen from this group is a, a number of comments coming in about it does feel like that chemistry really starting to build and this team turning the corner. We'll get into it after this on Locked on Bucks. I'm going to remind you once more, Locked on. Launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Many of you are already on YouTube watching us today. Check out the Locked On 24-7 streaming channel, our national sports channel, Locked On Sports Today. It's here for you 24-7, covering the top stories of the day with local experts of Locked On and our national shows, covering every single league. To view it, go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. All right, let's open this up to uh, all the comments that are, are starting to pile in here and a couple of feedbacks on Chris Middleton, as Michael points out. Very comfortable position that he's moved into and he's relishing it. And I think that's the big thing that we just went through. He's accepted this role. And that's, you know, we had that conversation about Chris Middleton prior to this. But for all of the detractors that have existed at times, I would defy you to go out, and again, he may not be that guy defensively anymore, but but in years prior, too, go out and find that guy that is willingly accepting the role of, I compliment this Giannis fellow. I'm going to take a backseat to him. I'm still going to play defense. I know my spots are going to be limited. I know everything rolls through him. That's fine with me. When I get my spots, I'll make the most of it. Chris Middleton has done that year in, year out, and even more so this year when you add Damian Lillard and you tell him, look, take your time. We're going to be extra cautious and extra slow with you because we have this Dame guy, and we know that's going to be a process to figure things out. Um, but when we get there, and a lot of coaches, you know, we, we hear from the opposing coach every single game, and there's been a number of times already this year where Eric Name or Jim Ozarski or somebody locally will ask that coach, Hey, what do you think about Chris Middleton and his role this year? Because, yeah, Damian Lillard, this was the number two guy for a while. This was the guy that hit some of the bigger shots. Giannis was certainly incredible in that playoff run to the finals in a championship. Chris Middleton hit some of the biggest shots. He hit the game winner in game one against the Miami Heat. He hit the biggest shot against the Brooklyn Nets that essentially served as your game winner in game seven. He had a 20-point quarter in the conference finals in a 40-point game. Same thing in the NBA finals. He was one of those guys, and now he's he's kind of, I hate to use the term relegated, but he's been cast aside into that third role. Every single coach that we bring that up to, 
they laugh and say, well, if, if you want to label Chris Middleton as a third option, that's fine. But uh, good luck. You know, like that is a very, very terrifying third option to have. And I think the way they've used him so far has been very smart to take your time with him because with Chris Middleton being that complimentary player, his value is, is clearly much more important in April and May and hopefully June than it is in November, December, January, anytime in the regular season. And look, I, I think the other thing that we have to point out is this. Um, if you did not make that Damian Lillard trade, the ripple effect, the butterfly effect on that, I wonder what that means, not only for this team, but for Chris Middleton as well, because the, the thing with that Damian Lillard trade is it opened up the door and it gave you the opportunity to be extra cautious with him and say, look, we got Dame. We'll get scoring from there. Not to say that Drew Holiday can't score, but it's just a different expectation and a different ask where it's, well, we may not have as much scoring. We're really going to have to grind these ones out. And I think that has really opened the door for more opportunities for a Chris Middleton. Most underrated player in the league for years. Quality of his play has been great since the second comeback last season. The only issue has been minutes. Completely agree with that. He, You know what you get from him. He is consistent. He is a reliable guy. And now that the minutes have, have certainly increased as we gave you those numbers in the last 11 or so games, uh, you've gotten that consistency. And, and to me, it, again, it's where you're getting it, those minutes that you're getting it from, that that is what has made this offense so good is when we look at some of these on-off numbers for Giannis and Damian Lillard, it's been a little jarring at times because it hasn't lined up with what you would assume. You would assume that offense would take a massive step backward. Not that it doesn't take a step back, but it hasn't really taken a huge leap where you look at it and say, yeah, the offense is great, but when they don't have Giannis or Dame, it's a huge problem. Uh, Chris Middleton is a big reason behind that. Brooke Lopez as well. The stretch that we've seen Bobby Portis on uh, as well. That's another thing to point out where he, he averaged just under 20 points a game in that six-game homestand. His efficiency too, 60% shooter from the field, 50% on his threes. That's another thing. To, uh, to point out. We talked about this uh, a little bit as well the other day on the uh, live show. We had a few comments coming in with that, but um, here's a mention of some midseason roster changes and adding a wing and defensive stopper. Certainly number one on the wish list for the Bucks as we are now in the Christmas season, uh, no doubt, but it is also number one or up there on that list for what, 27 probably other teams in the uh, NBA. Um we talked about this a little more off the air as well with uh, with Frank Madden, and I was talking with with Frank and with Eric Name the other day about the second apron and where are the Bucks. There's still a little bit of ambiguity, so I think we're all kind of regrouping and trying to figure out where are they at here. Because if you are in the second apron, you can't aggregate contracts. So, so in other words, if you're trading for an eleven million dollar player, you can't take player X who's making $8 million. I'm not going to mention any names. You can't take player X who's making, let's say $9 million and player uh, Y who's making $2 million and say, here's our 11 million. It matches. We can complete the trade. You can't do that. If you're in the second apron, it has to be one for one, or you can do multiplayer deals, but it would have to be, we're taking on a guy that's making 11 million. We're giving you a player that's making 11 million. And we're also giving you this other player who's making a little bit less. Maybe he's making $2 million or $3 million, as that's kind of the sweetener instead of 
a, a draft pick, which again, the Bucs don't have to offer, save for a, a few second round picks. So I don't disagree that that's what they should be targeting as we move closer and closer to the trade deadline. Um, but depending on where the Bucs are at in the apron, and I, I point out the ambiguity because the last check that I had, um, or last time I, I looked at it, I believe the Bucs were about $200,000 under the second apron. Now, that doesn't take into account any bonuses or potential bonuses because that counts on your cap this season. You have to factor it in immediately. So that may be, um, excluding that, that may be something that pushes them over. But they're very close to the second apron. If they're in it, it's going to be very tough to, to do anything. And that's why we keep saying, look, your best route for getting that wing player it may well be just developing Andre Jackson Jr., continuing that development. Uh, Marjan Bochamp, a, uh, a few comments about him as well. We haven't seen him as much lately. Part of that is what we've seen from Ajax of late. Part of it is you got Pat Connaughton back, and you just don't have the minutes, right? Like the roster crunch and those minutes, they got to come from somewhere. AJ Green's another guy we saw early in the season. He has not played uh, recently because of that as well. And look, the other thing is, when Jay Crowder comes back, and that's what we should point out is don't expect Jay Crowder to come back and, and day one, he's he's the Jay Crowder that we saw for the first, what, 10 games of the season. That may be something else that that takes time and, and you have to limit the minutes and, and be very cautious with him and his onboarding back onto the court. But once he does come back and it's back up to, to full speed, it also could mean a lack of minutes or a drop in minutes for Bobby Portis because they may become duplicative players that with the way this roster is, is set up, we've seen Jay Crowder early in the season playing on the wing and looking much, much better there than he did a season ago. But ideally, Jay Crowder is really a small ball four, and, and he's a guy that, that plays there, and that's where you play Bobby Portis. So that's what we mean when we say, look, the minutes got to come from somewhere, and whether or not you like the player, you only got so many minutes that you can dole out. So it, it, it may just be whoever is playing best, and again, any moves, it, it all relies on where the Bucks are at in terms of um, of that apron and uh, and their cap space. Um, the other thing is Malik Beasley, and I do see a comment here that I want to get to. Guy's been guy has been playing great, and you don't want to talk about Malik Beasley. I mentioned earlier on the show, Malik Beasley has been playing great. I think the conversation around Malik Beasley is still is the starting lineup the best spot for Malik Beasley? And again, I think we can overblow and make a lot more than needs to be made out of who starts versus who closes in just overall minutes. But I think we continue to point that out with, with the starting lineup, especially because you don't need that fifth starter to score. It's been a luxury for the Bucs, and that's a big reason why that offense has been as elite as it's been, that one through five in that starting lineup, you have guys that on every any given night can score 20 or more points a game, 30 or more points a game. We've already seen Brooke do that this year. Malik can certainly do that as well when he heats up. Um, it's all about that fit of we've seen the bench struggle at times. Would it make more sense to pair a more defensive-minded player in the backcourt with Damian Lillard and somebody Everybody points to Andre Jackson Jr. I don't necessarily disagree with that. He moves the ball. He plays defense. He doesn't need a shot. And that's what seems like would fit best with that starting group. The thing is, 
Malik Beasley has offensive end. Malik Beasley has played very, very well for this team. He is putting in the effort defensively. Uh, he has some limitations there. It is not for a lack of effort or buy-in or engagement on the defensive end of the floor. And I think where the Bucks are at is everybody continues to point to that and ponder, do you make a change in the starting lineup? The thing is, how can you penalize Malik Beasley at this point and say, look, you've done everything we've asked of you. You've put it in the effort defensively. The results haven't always been there, but you're giving it your all and you're shooting the crap out of the ball. You can't penalize him and pull him out of the starting lineup. So I think that's been one of those things that we've seen with Malik this year. And, and why is, as you know, we have the, the, the mention here of you don't really mention him a lot. I think that's really the reason why there hasn't been a, uh, a whole lot of mention for uh, Malik Beasley. But yeah, he has been very, very good. And I, I think he has been exactly what you expected to be so far. Maybe even better. His three-point shooting certainly heating up. It, it took a couple of games for Malik to get his footing back. Adrian Griffin talked about that as well in his first game back after missing a couple, a couple of games with that illness. But consistently, right around the time, we've talked about this team starting to look a lot better and figure things out. Malik Beasley's been a driving force of that offensively. And I believe that game against the Knicks, the first one of these two, I think that was the seventh time this season that uh, Malik has already hit five or more threes in a game. So, uh, yeah, ultimately he may be best served as a scorer off the bench to help juice that second unit. But for the time being, it's it's just tough to make that change and, and penalize a guy who is, who's done every single thing that uh, you would have asked for. One other thing to uh, to get to here is I think what's on a lot of people's minds. Biggest fear um, is any injury to Brooke Lopez because we're shallow at the bigs and so much of our defensive identity is based around him. I completely agree. Uh, he's been incredible this season. That You know, you think back to two years ago when you lost Brooke Lopez, game two of the regular season. He did not return until March. Two-thirds of the season he was out. At that point, he was already in his mid-30s or close to his mid-30s, what, 33 at that time. Seven-footer who had many years of mileage and wear and tear running up and down the floor. You had to wonder when you heard back surgery, what does this mean for Brooke going forward? Like that is not typically something that players of that size and that age come back gracefully from. Brooke Lopez put up the best season in my mind of his career a season ago, one year removed from back surgery. And so far this season, I think you can make a strong case he has been even better than he was a season ago, especially defensively when you factor in all the changes around him and how he has basically been asked, hey, sorry, you got to clean this up again. But he is on pace for about 240 blocks, I think it was at last look, which would far exceed his career high, which he set last year at just under 200. So he has been absolutely incredible. I understand that caution or concern over what happens if he goes down. What I would, uh, what I would counter with is living life with that type of fear is, is really no way to uh, go through life. But it's a valid point, and it is the one thing that you look at that Brooke Lopez is always this Iron Man and the guy that plays every single game he's played every game so far this season he has consistently been that that you do wonder at what point do we start to just say hey brooke maybe you can take a, a minute or a game off or two here they've done a good job with his minutes and i think that is the big thing part of that is how griff wants to play though we have seen those minutes increase for brooke where there were stretches early in the season he wasn't closing where i think griff was still kind of feeling out this defense and how he could melt what he wanted to do versus what 
clearly the rest of the team was comfortable doing. But it is a valid concern um, for Brooke Lopez. However, he, he's given us no reason to be concerned over that um, outside of one back surgery that he had. And those, those leg issues that he had very, very early in his career, knock on wood, that have not resurfaced um, since then. And uh, yeah, he's he's been used. We've talked about this as well. Differently, offensively, much more play around the basket. Not to say he's not shooting threes, but it's just been a different shot profile for Brooke Lopez so far this season. Um, this was really fun. Again, we're going to continue to do live shows every single Sunday and to welcome your interaction and to feedback throughout the course of the show. I think we're going to try to sprinkle in some more live shows throughout the week as uh, as well because we can approach things with what we want to talk about and uh, just a single track mind of let's touch on this this and this but if there's something that we're missing that you guys are blowing up the the comments within chat and have on your mind that you want to address uh that is that's another way to to get that involvement so i think we're going to start sprinkling even more live shows on youtube throughout the course of the week but certainly every single sunday camille and i are going to be doing this at around the same time around 10 a.m every sunday you don't have to worry about it conflicting with uh, any football scheduling. Uh, so just a nice way to open up your Sunday mornings. Everybody that's viewed this show listening, I hope you all take some time, have a very, very safe and happy holidays. Merry Christmas, whatever it is that you celebrate. I hope you have the best of those holidays here over the course of the uh, next couple of days. We do appreciate all the feedback and interaction that you guys have given, not just today, all throughout the year, before Camille and I took over as well with Kane, before Kane took over with Eric name. You guys truly are the best friend uh, fans and the most loyal group that we have out there. So I do truly appreciate it. I know Camille and Frank do as well. I believe we'll have all three of us together tomorrow. Me, Camille, and Frank for the post-game show. We're not doing a post-game radio show because of Christmas. So I, I said, look, I'll lend my services to, uh, to Locked On, and maybe we'll do it live as well. But um, I believe the three of us will be doing the uh, post-game show for Game 2 against the New York Knicks. Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy holidays. Thank you for tuning in once again. And uh, we will talk to you once again tomorrow with more Locked On Bucks.